Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, thoughties, Fran here. Um, so as the thoughts play catch up this week, uh, in the meantime, I actually wanted to share a new project with y'all that I'm working on a podcast with one of my best friends, Rose Domu called like a virgin. Um, you might know Rose from the internet, but the gist is she is a bonafide state sanctioned thought who is just as filthy as all the other thoughts on this podcast and all y'all listening to it too. Um, and like a virgin, you know, the show is a lot of things, but for the most part, it is a series of deep dives into the pop culture that formed our queerness and made us godless heathens like America's Next Top Model or the Spice Girls or Ugly Betty. We dive into all of these things. Plus, every week we do a roundup of the week's gayest news. We have some of your faves as guests on to talk about them too, like Bowen Yang, Ira Madison, J.P. Brammer, Evan Ross Katz, the list goes on. Um, anyways, I wanted to share with you all our first episode. Uh, it's on Harry Potter, which, you know, to anybody listening to this, I'm sure knows there's a lot of nuance to be had in the Harry Potter of it all, and I guess... Um, the author uh, of the Harry Potter franchise, we go in hard. And I think uh, we make some funny jokes too. So um, I hope you listen and subscribe after that um, because if you don't, then you don't love me and you're dead to me. Okay, bye. -ya. We still never determined what non-binary wizards are called. Well, we're about to have a whole podcast talking about Harry Potter, so... Magician. Oh, yes, magician. Well, I think there needs to be, you know, an X in there somewhere, you know? Magician. <laughs> or it's magi-c-x-n. Just, I want it to be as difficult to say as possible. Magician. Yeah. Rose, 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 our first episode of the podcast. Oh my god, this is so exciting. I feel like reaching the let's make a podcast stage of our friendship is, is really a, a rite of passage. Yeah, but also I feel like the let's make a podcast <laughs> stage of our friendship was our entire friendship. We're just like, hmm, how can we capitalize off of our deep connection? And intellect and humor. Our witticisms. And cultural knowledge. Should we introduce ourselves? <laughs> I feel like y'all know who we are, but I am Fran Dorado. And I'm Rose Domu, and this is Like a Virgin, our new podcast that you are listening to for the first time. Isn't that amazing? You are so lucky. So you, lucky. you are so lucky and so special. And I love you for listening to this podcast. You were talking the way Oprah talked to Gaga right after she did that. With holding her shoulders <laughs> no and shaking her. No one can do her. that. No one does that. Um, like a Virgin is really our friendship in podcast form. Because there has been this trope in our friendship okay. where I will, you know, like, 
mentioned something like, like a movie or a TV show or like a cultural phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, oh, Scream. Like, and I'm like, oh, I've never seen that. Yes. And during the pandemic, especially, I feel like we spent so much time introducing each other to pieces of pop culture that, like, the other one loved. I think it was more, like, me force-feeding you pop culture. I will say it was a mixed bag, because some of these things where I was like, wow, I can't believe I've gone this long without seeing the Elvira movie. And then with things like Twilight, it's like I very proactively have not been watching this. By choice. And then you tape my eyes open. I think that dynamic is, like, pretty emblematic of, like, the very different ways that, like, you and I grew up. You know what I mean? I think that was, like, kind Absolutely. of some, That's, like, something that came through as we were, like, you know, in the pandemic, like, months and months, just, like, vegging out, ordering really bad pizza because we're in Los Angeles and oh Los Angeles God. cannot do pizza. So depressing. Sorry. Um, discovering that, you know, you really have, like, an unfettered cultural, like, encyclopedia Especially when it comes to, like, cult classics and, like, queer, gay kind of, like, canon stuff. And And you were super sheltered and (laughs) didn't consume any of that. Actually, yeah, maybe that's helpful context. Okay, so, like, I don't want to get too deep into it, but, like, just the gist of, like, baby Fran and how I grew up. Up until maybe, like, my freshman year of high school, a total Jesus freak, okay? Like, purchased Jesus-themed shirts at the Family Christian Bookstore. Had the Were you jerking it to Jesus? (laughs) I don't recall actually ever jerking it to Jesus, but I definitely have been aroused by biblical cartoons and the Prince of Egypt. Hello. Oh, hot. Everyone's erotic awakening. But, like, literally, like, the WWJD bracelet, like, I listened to, like, Reliant K and Switchfoot and, like, only listened to Christian music. I went to church two to three times a week. I wanted to be a Jesus camp counselor. I went to Jesus camp seven years in a row. Like, I, there was nothing that could, like, throw me from the dedication I had to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Except, of course, when I realized that I like to have sex with men. Um, And that kind of, I was just like, oh, actually, this is fun, and I'm kind of over it. Um, But that was how I grew up. And because of that, my parents, like, all my my family fundamentalist Christians really, like, sheltered me from the rest of, like, mainstream culture. With a few, like, weird exceptions that we'll get into at another time. But, like... For the most part, I grew up in a cultural vacuum, and so I didn't know who the Spice Girls were, and I didn't know that Scream was a thing. In fact, I wasn't even allowed to watch any of the horror, any horror genre stuff at all. How did you grow up, Rose? Well, I think that my cultural knowledge is partially the product of um, a lack of supervision. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a child of divorce, and I have younger siblings. So especially in my formative years when I was a teenager, I just kind of like had the freedom to do whatever I wanted to and consume whatever I wanted to with like very little parental oversight. Mm. And that meant a lot of exploration on the internet. I was also very much like an indoor kid. Mm, Very Matilda Um, energy. I was a big reader very early and then that segued very organically to the internet. And I discovered like fandom and fan fiction like pretty young and just kind of like consumed every kind of pop culture I wanted to and was very 
obsessive. You know what's so funny is like reading is really the gateway drug to corrupting all these kids because I don't know what your parents were like, but my parents were like, you can't watch this. You can't go to this. You can't do this. You can't have slumber parties. But they were like, oh, if you're going to go read a book, like reading is just good for everybody. You can yeah, read anything you want. Yeah, because nothing bad happens in books. Yeah, nothing bad happens. And then I would be like literally, you know – in like the YA section, finding every book that had like a, a very a grazing, eclipsing sex scene in it, and like I don't know, pulling my page. Um, but I feel like that. I have to say, I hate that phrase, pulling my page. <laughs> you hate, what? What do you What do you hate about it? It just doesn't sing to my ears. Mm, what What would you, What would you prefer? I say, um, jerking off, jerking my nerves, mas- masturbating. <laughs> um, I loved in in Spencer when when Kristen Stewart says, "Can you leave? I'd like to masturbate now." <laughs> Again, just solidifying it in the lesbian canon. We will be talking about Spencer <laughs> today. Um, I think part of the reason why our friendship works is that we're coming from these two very different point of views, but also are unified in our obsessive love of the things that we love and our desire to share those things yeah. with the people we love. Yeah, like, one of my biggest love languages is, like, if I love something, I really want all my loved ones to, like, experience it with me. Honestly, at a sociopathic level, like, I'm, if you watch, like, a, a, an episode of Real Hostess of Beverly Hills and you don't tell me, like, I'll be sad. Yes, that, that, that has happened probably, probably pretty recently. <laughs> and also, you know, our text chain is, like, do you want to go to the movies tonight so we can see this movie together? Because uh-huh. we have to see it together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, under penalty of death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that is the energy that we're going to bring to this podcast. Yes. We are going to be introducing each other to these formative pieces of media. And if not, you know, introducing, I think at least introducing the other person to a different part of it or a different, like, point of view on it. And sometimes we will be joined by guests who will aid one of us in force-feeding the other some some piece of media. Or maybe neither of us have watched it and our guest is going to come in and say, hey, y'all are missing out on XYZ. And I think, you know, in the virgins in the in the world of like a virgin don't always have to be us. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they will be you, our listeners. Mm-hmm. And you will experience whatever we're talking about for the first time. Yeah, I think that if there's one thing that like we want people to take away from this podcast, aside from, you know, a showcasing of our friendship and our witticisms. I wasn't reaching and- out for you to hold my hand. <laughs> I was just stretching. <laughs> I reached out to, to grab Rose's hand and it she wasn't reaching for my hand. She was just stretching. And this that is our friendship <laughs> in a nutshell. Oh my god. What you can expect from every episode is that, you know, we'll start off talking about what's going on in the world, what's going on in pop culture. Then we'll get into our main discussion, whether it's like a book, a movie, um, an era, an album. And then we'll, you know, finish it off with like a, a fun little game or like a prompt or something. Yeah, so we'll change it up. We'll change it up. Fran. Yeah. I think that one of the things people will begin to understand about this podcast is that this podcast is hosted by a Glinda and an Elphaba. Yeah, it is. Can y'all guess who? <laughs> who is who? Whomst is whomst. I don't, I don't think it will take a mastermind to, or or really even listening to the whole episode to figure out that I am the Elphaba, Fran is the Glinda. 
That's right, Elfie. I do not quite have, like, the register that Kristen Chenoweth possesses, but, you know, I can sell it. <laughs> You'll get there. I should actually be practicing the new canon, Glinda, which is someone who's who's gonna mumble a little bit and maybe say, yeah. <laughs> I can't do it. In case you've been living under a rock, last week it was announced that the Wicked movie, which I still don't believe is actually happening, has found its leading ladies in Ariana Grande and Cynthia Erivo. Cynthia Erivo is amazing. I'm also really happy that a black woman is playing Alphaba. I'm also grateful that someone's playing Alphaba who will actually hit the note in Defying Gravity. Yes. I am really looking forward to Ariana in a blonde ponytail um, appearing in a bubble and going, The Wicked Witch of the West is dead. Yeah. <laughs> she is such a theater gay. Like, she is such a theater gay. Well, she, I mean, there was that tweet of hers that people were retweeting about how she wanted to play Glinda one day. In 2011. But also, you know she wanted Alphaba. No. So she did The Wizard and I at, on that Wicked TV tribute a couple years ago. And I don't think that you're Ariana Grande getting cast in a Wicked movie and don't, like, think of the possibility that you could play Alphaba. But I, I really like that because I think wanting to be the star is very Glinda energy. It is. So, so she will bring that to the role. And let's say, you know, Wicked is, even though it's Alphaba's story, like... They are kind of co-leads, even though Alphaba has more songs. Yeah, I am honestly just here for an era wherein Ari is trying to be in movies. Because she was rumored for, like, Meg and Hercules. She's been rumored for, like, other casting opportunities. I feel like she's trying to do what Gaga's trying to do, which is what Cher did. You know what I mean? Like, I think they're all trying to do the, the pop star to, to, like, actress pipeline. But does that mean we're going to get, you know, like serious press tour Ariana Grande in a bunch of, you know, like, kind of ugly pink dresses? If it ever happens. Because she does not do good red carpet looks. Literally. I love Ariana, don't come for me stands, but she does not usually serve on the red carpet. Or you know there's going to be a green carpet at the premiere. I, I'm excited for the tour. I personally am a big um, John M. Chu fan. Like, I loved Crazy Rich Asians. I think that, like, his style of directing is kind of, like, <laughs> I hate that I'm saying this, but, like, he, he, he's doing what, like, Baz Luhrmann used to do with, like, maximalism and, like, sen- like the, this kind of sensational, like, big, like, I think that's Visual a reach, presence. saying he's you, doing what Baz Luhrmann used to do. Well, Baz Luhrmann doesn't make movies anymore. <laughs> no, but Baz Luhrmann, is, what he does is nowhere near as stylized as what Baz Luhrmann did. Okay, well, I'm excited to see what he does with Wicked, but I also have to say that the people that have this adaptation in their hands have a huge responsibility because we waited two decades now for this to be solidified. And if, if it is postponed any longer, gays will riot in the streets. There will be an uprising. Well, there's lots of other movies that actually have come out, and we have seen a bunch of them We've recently. We've seen all of them. We have nothing um, else to do. Yeah, well, we're also in prime movie-going season. Yeah. Last week we saw Dune. Um, well, okay, saw I is, saw Dune. Saw is subjective. 
I saw Dune. Fran slept through most of Dune. I okay. Um, we we got blitzed, dear audience. We got we got very stoned. <laughs> um, I I kept hitting my vape in the bathroom. Oh my god, um, me too. It's a movie about a space twink that everyone wants to fuck, and it can't be interpreted as anything else. No. Um, I also did love the very like boring modern names that all of these space heroes had, like Lady Jessica, Paul. <laughs> There was a guy whose last name was Idaho. No. It, it was just, like, weird. It's um, like, come on over here, Brad. Jake. Yeah, it's also a heartwarming road trip story about a boy and his mom. <laughs> Wait, they go on a road trip? Yes, you <laughs> this, were asleep during I that part. I fully asleep. <laughs> Look, the recliners at the AMC Universal, those are some nice chairs, They okay? They hit. They well, hit. one movie that you didn't sleep through that we also saw this weekend was Spencer, starring Kristen Stewart. And let me tell you, my expectations for this film were kind of low, not to be a total bitch about it. Too late. And I don't say that to, like, neg Kristen Stewart, but I am not, like, a, a twihard, and I'm not, like, a... A Casey ride or die, and so you're not a Crisbian. I'm not a Crisbian. Um, that's but what we call ourselves. I am not a Crisbian, and I went into this movie with no expectations, and I left really loving what I saw, with a handful of exceptions. What did you think? I loved it. I thought it was so beautiful. I thought Kristen was incredible. She will win the Oscar. I think she'll be nominated. I don't think it's a shoe in for a win. We will have to see who she's up against, but I think it was Oscar-winning work. Like, it, it was obviously very serious, but there was an element of camp to it. It made that, us both laugh. Well, I think, spoiler alert, at the end, Diana's dresser reveals that she's in love with her. And it <laughs> kind of, it kind of, it took me out of the movie a little bit. Yeah. Like, we we were definitely laughing in the theater. But it was in a way that kind of only added to the appeal of the film to me. Like, I liked that it was a little ridiculous. It it took us out of the movie in that Rose dug her nails into my arm and we clutched each other for dear life while rocking back and forth. Because the fact that this dresser came out to her was so absolutely uncalled for. Here's something that I'll say about the movie. I don't have a huge cultural context on Diana. I've listened to the five-part series of of the podcast You're Wrong About. They do a really good dive into, like, Diana's life and, like, how she was. And, like, the Princess Diana Beanie Baby and, like, maybe watching The Crown is, like, that's the full spectrum of, like, what I know about Diana. And something that I really appreciated was that it was a portrait of Diana at her messiest. And, and in a, in a way that is, like, the most human. Like, I think often when she's portrayed, it's kind of like this mart. she's kind of a martyr or she's a, a victim. And she definitely is those things. And she was, like, you know, abused to, to no end by, like, the royal family. But I also love that they show that, like, her struggle through mental illness. And they obviously went into her eating disorder, which I felt, honestly, was really gratuitous and really triggery and not well done. But other elements of, like, how she was battling her own mind, I thought was, like, something that was really needed from the kind of Diana content of it all, of which we will never have enough. Yeah, I think a lot of the the pop cultural context for Diana that I have is very much the people's princess yeah. and, on, like, only what I got as a child. The, my only real memory of Diana, because I think we were maybe a little young, was right after she died driving by a Denny's where they had 
um, changed the sign to say, you know, we oh. love you, Diana, which oh, was Denny's. sweet, but also like this random Denny's in Florida. <laughs> that was her impact. So I felt like the queer baiting, I'm saying queer baiting distinctly because they cast Kristen Stewart. And I, I want to know, so for those of you that don't know, the writer of this film interviewed people that were at the house Diana was at that weekend and shared firsthand accounts that cannot be shared with public record. So he's using new source material that I appreciate because there's like, everyone kind of pulls from like these two biographies of Diana. And he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go and find firsthand accounts as well. And so there are things that he discovered in these interviews that he literally cannot tell the public what was in the interview. So the Maggie thing was very likely a real thing that he pulled from one of these interviews, but he can't tell us like who's who or whether it actually happened. But Maggie, when she tells Diana that like, I'm in love with you or whatever, like that was, it threw me through such a loop because I was like, is the only reason they cast Kristen Stewart in this movie because they wanted this, like this meandering lesbian moment that actually didn't, go anywhere and had barely an arc or a resolution like what did you think of like the whole moment i don't really think that we can call that queer baiting and i don't think that kristen stewart was cast in this very serious movie to excuse a like super minor like lesbian subplot i think she was cast in the movie because she was great she's kristen stewart and she was great and who knows if that moment was in the script because it's, like, based on something true to life or because, you know, they added it after Kristen had signed on. Maybe she had some input in it. But I also think that Diana was very clearly someone that, obviously, as we've seen, people loved. You know, like, people were obsessed with Diana of course. On, a, on a huge scale and I think even though that moment was a little ridiculous, what it did was illustrate to the audience and to her that there were people who loved her, even though she was going through this awful time with her family, the people who are ostensibly supposed to love her. And I think in that moment in the narrative, like she needs that life draft a little bit. Even though it's like slightly ridiculous, but I don't think we can call it queer baiting. I think it's just actually, you know, maybe 10 years ago, that would have been like a male butler who said he was in love with her. Mm. And now culturally, we're at a point where it gets to be a queer woman. Wow, I love that. That's a very generous read of it. And honestly, it's it sold me. I feel like that is like how I would like to see the movie. I honestly would see it again, maybe. You know what did feel a little queer baby though, and I'm ready to go there, is the gay eternal. Yes, we saw Marvel's Eternals. And Girl. There and I don't know if you heard, but Eternals features Marvel's first out and proud gay superhero. Okay, first of all, if you're you're saying that like it's breaking news, but if you are listening to this podcast, you are either gay or trans or both or and you know or cis hetero, we yeah. accept everyone here. <laughs> all of y'all have probably gotten an an article pushed to your t- Twitter feed that said <laughs> and probably uh, written by me 3 from, years ago. <laughs> written by you. <laughs> Check the byline. 
three years ago that has fed into your algorithm that says Marvel announces it its first queer superhero. Um, and also, you may have seen my interview with Selma Hayek in which we talked about this. <laughs> and about her. Did you talk about her wig? That was for a different movie. Oh, got it. Anyways. She I, has amazing hair. Amazing hair. She is... I'm, oh, I'm talking about in person. You wouldn't know. Uh, okay, fine. How do you know I haven't met Selma Hayek? <laughs> because you would have told me if you had. You think? I don't tell you everything. Yes. You okay. do tell me everything. <laughs> You absolutely tell me everything. We have a literal podcast so you can tell me more things. <laughs> okay, so back to this queer baiting thing. Okay, yes, there's Marvel's first queer superhero, which is so stupid because like, I feel like I've been reading articles like that since the dawn of time. Like, Marvel's first implicitly queer mo- moment, explicitly queer moment, like off-screen gay moment, a moment that is gay, that's not gay, like the whole Venom thing, or like, there was that moment in Loki, but like, this was the moment when we were watching, I was like, Rose, can you like point out like which one's like the gay one, and like, <laughs> you pointed him out to me, and, and, and at a certain point, I lean over to Rose, and I was like, wait, so he's just a fucking nerd? Like he, <laughs> yeah, he didn't, so the, the gay character is Fastos, and... His all of the Eternals have different special abilities, like shooting laser beams out of your <laughs> eye, or yeah, like, or like manipulating matter and illusions and turning into different people. Yeah, the gay one, his power <laughs> is just that he's very smart and can invent <laughs> things, and he wears rings. He wears se- probably seven rings. Seven rings. <laughs> he's an Aryanator. He's an Aryanator. Oh um, my god. There, there, there. He doesn't really get introduced until like kind, like very far into the movie. After they're, you know, all of the Eternals are like rounding up the family to fight the monsters. I there were too many characters to focus on already. There and were I, so many. I, there were like twenty Eternals. Yeah, and I really would have enjoyed the movie a lot if I had, you know, maybe like five to focus on. You know what I mean? I actually felt like what they did was something of a marketing ploy. Like they were like, let's stack this movie with a ton of different celebs that have got to get someone in every quadrant. Yes. Every, a bunch of niche audiences, you know, like a bunch of like, um, uh, actors and actresses that have like certain kind of cult followings or certain kind of audience demographics. And you have, what you then have is a bunch of people coming to the theater. And for me, okay. Like maybe, uh, 90% of the reason I'm seeing this movie is, like, for Kumail Nanjani, okay? I'm excited to see him. I'm excited to hear his jokes. Uh, he's the Really? Reason- yes, he's the reason that I had heard of the movie. This is what I'm saying. Like, this is, like... Huh. This is what I'm saying. It's, like, I... I we, we're all coming... A lot of people from this audience are coming for different reasons. And so someone else is coming for Angelina Jolie. Another person's like, I'm here just to see Salma Hayek. But they're all in 10% of the movie. And so what you get is a lot of people that really liked about 10% of the movie. You know what I mean? And, like, coming away from that, it would have been nice to have a little more kind of, like, coalescence between just a few, like, central characters so that I didn't have all these different distractions, you know? There was there was definitely not enough Salma Hayek. No. Um, and there was Angelina Jolie was on screen a lot, but had maybe five lines. And most of her time spent on screen was just posing and kind of p- puffing her lips out. Showing off her there's, Jupiter. There's, 
there's one scene where she's like passed out or something. I think it's because of her illness. And she's just laying on the table and the camera is direct on her. And it looks like it looks like the app if you it looks like when you go to like the plastic surgeon it's like a picture of the after and it's in like a, in the surgeon's like waiting room and a picture of like her beautiful face i do have to say it was it was cool for me to see the movie because last year i went on a set visit to the set of eternals and like walked on the spaceship so that was cool to oh. see it cuz i'd been on it um, I went to the hair and makeup trailer and I touched Angelina Jolie's wig and then <gasps> someone was like, don't touch that. Um, <laughs> wow. So that was very fun. Um, I loved that Angelina Jolie was um, serving Dorit Kelmsley from Real Housewives <laughs> of Beverly Hills. In that her accent was unpinnable. Had no idea yes. what she was trying to do. It was one moment. It was like slightly British. Then it was like a little Swedish. Then it was a little Eastern um, European. Like it really, it it tr- really vacillated. Maybe she, that was the point. It's like she comes from many different places or something. But she looked so beautiful. So good. Um, as did everyone. Just one note. Just one. There were multiple opportunities for a Born This Way needle drop. And let me tell you... We did not get it because the gay character in this movie kept being like, I'm, I was born this way. I'm proud to be me or something like that. And I was like, doesn't matter if you love him or capital H. You know what I mean? It really would have. Yeah. Completed. Well, maybe, you know, Gaga now with the way her movie career is going will end up in a Marvel movie eventually. No question. No question. Or maybe. Well, I guess now X-Men is part of Marvel again, so maybe she'll wind up in an X-Men movie. Mm. I would love that. That would be so Um, good. Well, speaking of superpowers, I'm very excited to get into our main discussion today, where we'll be talking about Harry Potter. Mm. Uh, So stick around, and we'll be right back to um, figure out what Hogwarts house is current. Fran... What Hogwarts house are you in? I think I know, but I want to hear what you think it is. Right. Well, maybe we can, like, honestly, like, maybe we should take the quiz after this or something like that. But, like, I feel... Okay, yes. Everyone stay tuned for the end. We will take an official sorting quiz. That's right. But I want to hear what you think your house is. So, I feel like most people might classify me. I feel like you may even classify me as a Gryffindor. No. But, oh, okay. Wow. Okay, that was a very quick response. I would intuit that I am actually a Slytherin. Maybe not one of the evil Slytherins, because not all Slytherins are evil. Hashtag not all Slytherins. But I feel like I do possess a lot of kind of self-involved and self-propelled, like, I don't know, decision-making that is, like, you know, intrinsic in a Slytherin. Um, I don't think you're that cutthroat. Are also, I think I kind of am, Rose. I mean, you made this podcast with me. You bared witness to some, like, really, like, some some, some, some project true. managerial you, things. That. You definitely are more, uh, you're more into scheming behind the scenes than I think uh, your the Fran base would think. I mean, you and I are equally stubborn, but that, I put I my don't, foot down on certain <laughs> things. I don't agree with you that we're both stubborn. <laughs> um I I think you're a Ravenclaw. Oh, okay. I'll I'll take it. I'll take it. Why do you think that? Um, you're very smart. You uh I think are really into understanding things. Um you like amassing a lot of 
data around stuff. Mm, like that. You force us to be organized in what we're going to talk about for this <laughs> podcast and won't let me just wing it. Right. I won't let you just wing it. No. You're very inquisitive because every time we watch something, you say, what's that? What's happening? What's happening? Why is, why is that happening? <laughs> why is this happening right now? Right, right, right. And what I usually say to you is I have never seen this before either. So right. I don't know. And, you know, I feel like most people would say you, Rose. Are a Slytherin. I am a Slytherin. Like, I don't know if there's, there's anybody no, there's that would There's no other question. option. I mean, actually, if, if there were a backup, it would be a Hufflepuff. No. Because Hufflepuffs are weird and they you? beat to their own drum. And that's probably where the most cancers are located. You know, like, I think a lot of people... I'm leaving. A lot of people don't bring your Cancerian kind of ethos into the overall picture of who Rose Dami is. But you know what? The sorting hat takes choice into account. And if that (laughs) sorting hat tried to put me in a Hufflepuff, I would shit in it. (laughs) Got it. Got it. I think people should know how big of it a deal it is that you, Rose, are talking about it. And we'll get it to this in the end of the discussion. But like, Rose, you really haven't, you, everyone knows you're like, you know, a Harry Potter fanatic, but there are just certain elements of this franchise where it's just like, you know, people never get to hear you do talk about this thing that is so intrinsic to your upbringing. Like, you were literally one of those people that read Harry Potter before it was cool. Yes, absolutely. Ahead of the game. But I think what is more meaningful to me now even than my experience of reading the books or seeing the movies is the extracurricular experience of Harry Potter that I had. It was some of the first fan fiction I read it was maybe like the first thing I stand. Mm, mm, stunned. Mm. Stunned. 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 And in like the early aughts, Harry Potter fan fiction was very well, like I think fan fiction in general and like fan culture was something that you didn't really talk about. Yeah. Especially when you're in that preteen era where like everything's embarrassing and you're like mortified at the idea of caring about something, you know? But also, like, the, like, top layer of Harry Potter, the books and the movies and stuff, that was something I wanted to share to people. You know, when I read the book for the first time after my aunt got it for me as a Passover present, I was, you know, telling all my friends at school, you have to read this book about this wizard boy. Um, and then it became, you know, like, what it became. Okay, so you were an evangelist for the book franchise, but you didn't want everyone to know, like, how deep you were in it. Kind no, of. No, although, although it was pretty clear because I had, you know, a Harry Potter birthday party. Um, oh, wow. Although not many people came because my birthday was, I was a summer baby, so, like, it was really hard to have oh, birthday parties yeah, during the summer. that is really hard, summer baby. That's why I hate my birthday to this day. Is because you were my childhood trauma. Yeah, no one would come to your birthday parties. Yeah. Wow. Is there like a, an embarrassing slash funny story attached to like your Harry Potter fandom that you could share to like paint the picture of who you were as a kid as a Harry Potter fan? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I made my own Hogwarts letter. No, you didn't. Because not. when I was first reading it, it was you know before it was the kind of cultural phenomenon that it is now. So there just like wasn't a lot of merch available, mm-hmm. and I had to make my own. I had to <laughs> DIY it. So I did the thing where you you know dip a piece of paper in tea Ooh, to make course. it like look like parchment. Did, and did stain you like it. burn the edges? Of no, it? I didn't. I didn't get that deep. Into okay, it. okay. Well, a for effort. 
Yeah, so that is, like, a very embarrassing... And I put it in my mailbox. I put the letter in my mailbox. No, you did not. Yeah. Okay, you're actually touching on something that's now triggering me. And, like, I think that, like, when we're... Something that's, like, really... Something that, like, cannot necessarily be described is the emotional chokehold the Harry Potter universe had pre-movie era on, like, just the child, the child's imagination. Like, our imaginations were so big when you were a kid. Like, kids, like, so unfettered, right? That you were like, I'm going to put this letter in my mailbox, and, like, I'm going to suspend my disbelief until I, like, believe that this is, like, mine. And that is, I think, one of the reasons why Harry Potter was and remains so popular, because it created this world that you, like, wanted to live in. Yeah. Um, I think some, like... For some people, even more so than the actual narrative of Harry Potter, they love the world and want to, like, LARP in it. Right. Exactly. And I, so all y'all, even though I grew up, like, very sheltered, I still was such a Harry Potter stan. I had to read the first four books in, like, secret. Like, my parents couldn't know. Um, but I did develop into, like, a full-fledged, like, Harry Potter stan. But Did having to read it in secret make you more obsessed with it <laughs> absolutely because like the whole franchise is about like because it was forbidden secrets and be forbiddenness and like belonging to a world that your current world doesn't understand and like you just feel that so deeply when you're like an othered kid but like actually i've like literally never told this story like on a public platform <laughs> okay 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 so i don't know how old i was when the first harry potter book came out but i was young like nine, ten, eleven. I want. Well, say. you're you're a couple of years younger than me, so you probably. I was Harry Potter. You age were Harry some, Potter's age for yeah. some of the books because they they staggered a bit. Um, so I was probably Harry's age, and I remember laying in bed. My mom had like put me to bed, and I remember laying in bed and thinking about like the first spell in the book. I think, which is Wingardium Leviosa, or at least the first. It's the first of, major one. It's the first major. It's the first one. stunt. It's the first stunt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember sitting up in my bed and being like, "I'm gonna move that motherfucking lamp," and like trying to move the lamp by saying Wingardium Leviosa to this lamp. Like that's like where I was, like cognitively. And I remember you didn't think a wand was necessary. Well, I didn't have a wand. I should have found a stick. I should yeah, have found a stick yeah. if I had really committed to it. But as, as after I had started to levitate this lamp, my bedroom door. After you, after you successfully started to levitate <laughs> it? After, wow, friend. That's so cool. I was ahead of my time. Um, after I tried to levitate this lamp, my bedroom door opens. And my mom comes into my bedroom, and I was like, wait, what the fuck? And I, like, pre pretend – you, like, immediately pull the covers up. You try to go back to bed, and you're like, nothing's going on, Mom. It's totally chill. My mom comes in. Oh, and no. She, she sits, oh no. I'm bracing myself she, for whatever this is. She sits down. She sits down on the bed, and she says, Francisco, I um, was going to leave you in your bed tonight, but the spirit told me to stay and watch you. <laughs> And I just saw you try to levitate that lamp and use witchcraft. <laughs> and I oh want you God. to know that that is not okay. Like, my mom told me that Jesus told her <laughs> to watch me sleep. Fran. <laughs> no. So that is, that is the cultural background I'm dealing with going into the Harry Potter franchise. And continue to deal with. As, like, my mom basically thinks that, like, everything is, like, brujeria. You know what I mean? Mm. 
anything related to witchcraft. Like, couldn't watch Kiki's Delivery Service, Hocus Pocus, Bed Noms and Broomsticks. Do you remember that? Angela yeah. Lansbury. I never watched. That was not one of my <gasps> kid movies. Though. Okay, we'll do an episode on it. No, I've seen it, but oh. it's not like it wasn't a big thing for me as uh, a child. Oh, God. I, I loved that movie when I was allowed to watch it. But I, as a teenager, obviously around the same time that I was getting into Harry Potter, was getting seriously into witchcraft. Oh, really? In in a real way. Like, oh. I was very into Wicca. In the early 2000s, there was definitely a, a, a like, countercultural, like, Wicca moment happening. Of course. Of I course. spent a lot of time in the New Age section of Barnes & Noble and Borders bookstores. Basically, what you're saying is that we were diametric opposites in, like, how we kind of developed our relationships to Harry Potter, but we were both just kind of, like, magnet- magnetically, like, I have to continue to subscribe to this Did, thing. What's your favorite book? Okay. <laughs> what's your favorite book and what's your favorite movie? Um, my favorite movie is Seven Part One. Okay. I, it's right before the Battle of Hogwarts. It's a real, like, adultification of the central three characters. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great I think it's movie. beautifully done, emotionally honest. I really connect to, it came to me at a time when I really needed it, I feel, because that was, like, a new adult era of our lives, too. Um, or at least of my life, I feel. And I, um... But I, my favorite book was the fifth one. Like, the really, like... Ugh, I hate <laughs> Order of the Phoenix. Harry's such a brat in it. He is! But, like, that's the thing. is That's what I'm saying is, like, when in the fifth book, when Harry's all, like, really, like, emo, like, I was emo, too. Like, I just felt, like, so alone and sad and, like... You were emo listening to your, like, Christian rock. <laughs> yes, yeah. And I feel like, I mean, Harry Potter... I mean, the thing... The problem with that is, like, Harry Potter has nothing to complain about. He's always like, oh, I'm Harry Potter. He has a lot to complain about. His life is pretty rough. Uh, My parents are dead. I'm independently wealthy now, and this is really hard for me. He is. He is very rich. It's literally, it's never ever discussed that he's filthy rich, and all of his friends are paupers. Like, he's, like, Ron will be, like, in the corner, like, you know, eating, like, for lunch, he's, like, having, like, a pudding cup that he's eating with a comb. And, like, and and Harry Potter's all like, do you want some of my caviar, Ron? (laughs) He's a... He's a rich white man who grows up to be a cop. Yeah, that's... Oh, my God. He literally wants to be a cop, A cab, including Harry Potter. Including Harry... That's... Can you imagine being 12 and you're like, I want to be a cop? The toxicity of that child. Well, my favorite book is Half-Blood Prince. Of course. Uh, Of course. I feel like it makes a lot of sense for you. Okay. So, why? I really like that it's the last time that they're kind of innocent... Um, mm. you know, and I also love the, um, you know, ex- the exploration of Voldemort's past mm. and, um, Dumbledore kind of, uh, making Harry, like, do the legwork of his investigation into Horcruxes. Was this, like, after, uh, he had already been deemed, like, a gay? And so, like, in this no, book- no, no. Oh, it was after the whole franchise came it out. It was, yeah, after everything was when J.K. Rowling said he was Because I feel like the sixth book was when they were like, oh, yeah, and Dumbledore knits. Wink, wink. No, there wasn't any gay Dumbledore stuff until after all the books and movies. Because the author of this book series, who has no name... Who we um, will not be naming. You know, didn't want to actually have to do the work of having a a queer character in any tangible way. Yeah, developing them in any regard. 
Um, but my favorite movie is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Ugh, beautiful. It is, you know, directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Uh-huh. It is so much darker than the first two movies. And, you know, really is where all of the stylistic choices mm-hmm. for the Wizarding World that we know now were, were like, really set into place. Right. Um, and they also ditched the robes, like, and meshed them into modernity a little more. Yeah, they're a little bit more, like, real kids yeah. in, in that one. What about Voldemort's backstory kind of, like, struck you in, like, the the sixth book? Uh, I really liked finding out, you know, like, who his parents were. Hmm. I think that's... It, it gave, like, this, like, really interesting look into his psyche. Mm. Um, I also... Um, there is evidence in the sixth book that Voldemort is maybe trans. <laughs> you're, no, you're we're li- not doing this. Are we? Wait, yeah. what, what do you mean? What do you mean? Okay. So there is a scene in the sixth book that's not in the movies because, you know, there's many more scenes of them looking at the memories to, like, you know, find out Voldemort's backstory. There is a scene. It's the last memory that Dumbledore shows Harry. Um, it's Dumbledore's memory of a young Voldemort okay. coming to Hogwarts to request the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher position. Oh. And there is a moment in the memory where Dumbledore calls Voldemort Tom Riddle. And at this point, Voldemort is just starting to be known as Voldemort. Oh. And it says in the book, Harry could tell... That Voldemort was furious that Dumbledore refused to call him by his chosen name. Chosen name. Chosen name. name. It's literally in the book, I swear to God. Rose. And so there is a way to read that as Voldemort has some kind of gender carry. Okay. And Dumbledore refuses to acknowledge it and dead names Just Voldemort. This, this cis gay man dead naming dead this naming trans girl. a trans person. Oh right, we don't know. We don't right, know. Right, 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 of course. Um so basically, we don't know their pronouns. <laughs> right, right, right. So basically what you're saying is that Dumbledore's a turf. The <laughs> Dumbledore's a turf and the cent- central character of this franchise and hero of the story is a kid who wants to grow up to be a cop and kill a trans girl. It's like what you're saying. Yes, that is the plot of Harry Potter. Inc- incredible. You know, something that I have come back to a lot is, I think when we were kids, we thought that this was, like, the greatest example ever of, like, world building. Right. And now, as adults, I can see a lot of the cracks. Okay. Where Uh, where are they? Where are they? You know, well, like, first of all, the entire economy of the Wizarding World revolves around joke shops. (laughs) Candy stores. Right. And books. Right. And true. that's it. That's their whole economy. Truly. And it's it's Oh, like, and slavery because <laughs> they have house elves. Wait, Dobby is an indentured slave. 
Like, literally. Like, in serfdom. Like, that's crazy. I feel like they're, within all of that, it's it's also corrupt as fuck. Like, this is not a democracy. Like, you know, like, the the Ministry of Magic, like, controls the media. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of class warfare in Harry Potter, too. Um. I mean, you were talking about how poor Ron is, and like, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of like repeated over and over again how poor Ron is, right? But what's unclear really is like, what is like the UK currency to like Galleon's conversion rate? I think that's like the thing that I'm thinking about is like, like, like what what like that? None of all that of these things has are very described. undefined, and yeah. also it's very clear that she who must not be named. Was kind of, you know, making it up as she went along, which is fine. Yeah. Authors can do that. Yeah, of course. Um, but, you know, I I can see – I see the holes now as an adult and some of the more interesting story choices. Like, why did Harry and Ginny end up together? It was um, so – Like, all, all – like, Ginny is, like, such a kind of non-character for the first couple books. Never And developed. all they, like, kind of talk about is that she looks like Harry's mom. Honestly, it's giving, like, when Joey and Rachel get together at the end of Friends. Why did they all have to end up with the person that they dated in high school? Yeah, that's actually so toxic. And clearly, the person who Harry had the most chemistry with was Draco Malfoy. Yeah, obviously. Like, I I feel like there is... I mean, the, the fucking your enemies thing... Or rather, fucking your bullies is really what it's about. I know that's, like, a tired trope in, like, a lot of LGBTQ stuff. But, like, it's hot. It's hot. I feel like the Harry Draco tension was palpable. And then, and you know, like, marrying your best friend's little sister, who you, who's the first person you kiss in a high school, is so straight. You know, uh, something I think about a lot with, like, b- book-to-movie adaptations is... What is gained in that adaptation outside of the story? I think Harry Potter became in the third movie, as I was saying, like very stylistic. Right. It didn't necessarily become cool. Like we'll talk. Well, they wore we'll, like hoodies. But... We'll we'll get to Twilight eventually. But one of the things that I really like about the Twilight movies as an adaptation is that they're so much cooler than the books. That's true. You know, like everyone's. Um, like, dressed better than they are in the books. I don't know and if I would say Bella is dressed better in She's the dressed movies. better than she is in the books, because mm. in the books she wears a lot of khaki skirts. Oh, right. Um, they have really skirt. cool soundtracks. And then you look at things like, in the Harry Potter movies, like, um, you know, they wear a lot of robes in the books. And then in the movies, they have a lot of kind of ugly outfits, like Hermione's Yule Ball dress. Uh, I thought she looked beautiful just because she was in something that wasn't. She looked beautiful, but that dress was hideous. They actually have a replica of it at the Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park. Did you go? Did you see it? I've I've been to the theme parks many times. Okay, we should go together. We should get super stoned and go together. Yeah, we have to drink a lot of butterbeer. Oh, that sounds like I would, and candy. I would shit my pants immediately. But you're actually touching on a really important thing that we have to address, which is that in the fourth movies, the stylistic kind of um, integrity really went for their haircuts. And Harry and Ron have these disgusting skater boy haircuts that everyone oh, it's had. It's so of the time. It I dates the that. movie so much. Oh, oh, it really did not age well. And I had that haircut, Rose. Meanwhile, Hermione in the fourth movie, just like 
You know, after kind of the second movie, they're like, we're not going to do the thing where we're trying to make her hair look bushy anymore. And then by the fourth movie, she's just blonde. Literally any time you have a series or franchise where they start out and like, yeah, this character's ugly. And the whole thing is that she's ugly and a nerd. They like give up on it immediately. Like she got the ugly Betty treatment where like after season one, they were like, I guess we should just make ugly Betty hot, right? Like that's kind of what they did to her. But at least ugly Betty had braces. Hermione right. didn't even have the buck teeth well, that she's supposed to have in the Betty books. Betty did get the braces removed at the, the end. end of the show. No, it was in the last like season. She's still a whole season of of no mm, brace she had, mouth. Like half a season. We of will no be fact checking that in our ugly Betty episode. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's funny now to ascribe, you know, our our like. Um, you know, 2021 perspective of, like, queerness onto Harry Potter. And, um, I guess what I'm saying is, which of the Harry Potter characters do you think are queer, trans? <laughs> A question we will ask for probably every episode. Like, wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> which, which of these characters are trans? Um, I mean... So we have already talked about how Voldemort is, has some kind of gender Canonically carry. trans. I think trans... I think she's a trans woman. I, I, I think that after you've kind of described to me what's going on and the dynamic between her and Dumbledore, that's kind of what I'm buying. She did get some work done on her face. She yeah. has no nose. And she looks fierce. She went Snatched. down to Beverly Hills. Snatched. No, she went to Brazil, mama. Um, I I think that... I think you actually planted the seed in my head that, like, Luna Lovegood is giving, like, some NB vibes to me. Like, And Luna in fan fiction is always queer in some way. Really? Mm. I mean, she's so, like, open-minded and so, like, untethered to, like, you know, the rules of the world. I think she's giving me, like, non-binary pansexual. You know who's really giving that as well is Tonks. Tonks is gender fluid. Tonks is is a metamorphomagus something. (laughs) Right, yeah, what are they called? Some word that's, like, two syllables too long um, and can literally change their appearance in every way. So, obviously... There's some gender scenario. They are literally an Animorph. Do you know those books, the Animorphs? <laughs> I love Animorphs. <laughs> I actually never read them, but the covers were oh, kind we're of... Oh, we're definitely doing an Animorphs episode. <laughs> the, 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 the covers were kind of um, kind of hot. Um, Professor Trelawney reads as oh, trans to me, like a, a late-in-life trans woman. Oh. Um, <laughs> Professor <Emma> Thompson. <laughs> Professor Sprout, definitely lesbian. Okay. Older lesbian. Oh, yeah, for sure. Harry and Draco, gay. Okay. Gay Max. boyfriends. Draco's whole, I think, kind of like the impetus of his character is that he's like a tortured homosexual. Um, and that's why he's taking it out on everybody else. Hagrid is a, a bear. I think, okay, there's a thing that she who must not be named <laughs> it's going to be confusing now when we say that, whether we're referring to Voldemort or the <laughs> author of this novel. But y'all can just guess. You know who. You know who. There's a thing that happens where, like, femininity is kind of, like, mocked in this franchise. And, like, a big shtick with Hagrid is, like, he's this big, burly guy with a big beard and he does manly things. But, like, he comes home and he, like, wears an apron and he loves tea and gardening and he cries when his animals die and stuff like that. And I think it's, like, a joke, but I think that's, like, one of the most beautiful things about his character and, like... The com- I think it's like a complete like gender, like a portrait of his gender, you know. Sure, you know who you know who reads as very trans mask to me who? is um, Argus Filch, the Hogwarts caretaker. I also a definite trans woman to me is Madame Maxine, the giantess. 
Oh. Clocky tea shop. My, <laughs> I'm not allowed to laugh at that joke. Um, She's a tall girl. And sure, the actress. She's actu- a tall girl. Tall girls, you know what I'm talking about. The actress who played her served. Like, that was, like, she was so incredible. And, like, honestly, the chemistry between them, palpable. You know who's very cis, though, is Fleur Delacour. Fleur Delacour is cis culture. Ginny Weasley cis. Uh, although cis she, although she gives me um, lesbian vibes. Yeah, for sure. I think she hasn't set herself free yet. You know? Like I think I think Ginny's like just honestly one Maggie Nelson book away from Ginny Weasley is one Phoebe Bridgers lyric away from <laughs> uh, riding her broomstick right out of the closet. Oh yeah, and straight to the cubby hole. <laughs> uh, Peeves the poltergeist. Oh, absolutely, um, like, gender, queer... NB. Speaking of poltergeist, I, have you ever noticed that, like, Moaning Myrtle's, like, whole thing is that she's, like, literally a sexual predator? Like, <laughs> yeah, she just hangs around looking at Harry while he's taking a bath. Yes, yes. And he's 14. But, like, from moment one, like, like Harry's, like, taking a piss, and Moaning Myrtle's like, hi, Harry. What's going on? You got a nice cock fat. You know what I mean? Oh, like, there's like, but, but okay, but this, there's no room for subtlety. Like, like she who must not be named really goes there. Like he's in the bath and she's like, oh, Harry, how's it going? I'm watching you bathe. Well, she's probably cool. a trans woman because she's in a bathroom making a <laughs> cis person feel unsafe. Oh my God. Wow. Well, you went there. I did not. You know, when I was um, a, a nightlife producer, I had two... Very large Harry Potter raves. Wait, what did that look like? I I bring that up because for one of them we had our good friend Cheno, okay. we both love. Right. Uh, she recorded a track as Moaning Myrtle that we played on a loop <laughs> at, at one of the rooms in the party. Wait, that's so. And good. it was just Moaning Myrtle, kind of like <laughs> saying like really like kind of sexually deviant things. Wait, really. That just played on kind of like a low level <laughs> Wait, in one what, of the rooms. What did she say? Um, she was just you like, y- yeah, she was like, uh, she was like, uh, oh, Harry, like, come fuck me in the bathroom <laughs> or like something like that. I don't know. Um, it was just like, it was, it was funny. Um, oh, God. That's, I can't, wait, what did you wear? Um, well, I was Hermione at, at both of the parties. Of course. The Who first one was Hogwarts Rave and the second one was Chamber of Secrets. They were both really fun, and you know we're so we're we're full of queer people who loved Harry Potter, and we're like reinterpreting it from a queer perspective. And this obviously was before we learned what we know now about the person right. who wrote Harry Potter. And I actually we'll get to that, but I actually need to know now. Like, okay, did you have you always felt yourself a Hermione? Like, is that where you... And also, as a follow-up, did you ever have a crush on the characters as you read them? No, no, I don't really have fictional crushes like that. Oh, wow. Even though I... I'm surprised. Even though I love fan fiction, it's not usually from the perspective of, like, self-insertion. I did always see myself as a Hermione growing up, which is interesting because I am such a Slytherin. Right. Um... Now, though, I don't know if I'm Hermione. Okay. I think I'm more of, like, a... Like a Pansy Parkinson. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're kind of a Rita Skeeter, if I'm being (gasps) honest. (laughs) 
also big trans energy. No, 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 no. Rita Skeeter gives me, like... I mean, I literally... When I was a journalist, I was Rita Skeeter. (laughs) (laughs) If we're going to talk about all of the foreshadowing of you-know-who's transphobia, Rita Skeeter was this, like, kind of garishly dressed performance of a woman who transformed into something else so she could spy on people oh, right. in safe spaces. Oh, right. Wow. I The whole time, I thought she was, like, you know, a, a metaphorizing of corrupt media and journal... And, and I think uh, she's... Th- I, yeah, I think she's that, but now that we're reading it on, like, a deeper level, okay. like, I of see... Of course, of course. And I, I feel like I have to say, when I when I read it, I did my, see myself... I, I identified hardest with Hermione. Like, she was my girl. I paid attention to everything she did. And when the movies... By the time the movies came out, I, I developed a crush on Daniel Radcliffe, like, pretty quickly. Like, we were the same age. I think Daniel Radcliffe, like, got very hot as he, like, grew older. I don't know. Like, in his, like, Equus era... Like, when he was, like, at that play where he, like, fucked a horse, you know what I, I saw mean? it. Like, we all Googled, like, you know, Daniel he doesn't, Radcliffe. He doesn't fuck a horse. He kills a bunch of um, horses. I've read the play multiple times. He doesn't and fuck a horse. Yes, there. he doesn't fuck a horse, quote-unquote, but there is a spiritual sex, sex-based, sex like, sacrifice thing that he does with the horses that involves an orgasmic climax. No, what happens is that he... And then he does kill them. No, what happens is that he fucks a girl in... The because he's horny for horses, Wait, he does what it in is, the stable. What is the, oh, he fucks a girl in the stable, and then he feels so awful that the horses <laughs> saw it that he blinds them all because he feels like he's cheating on the horses. I know, Rose. but but what I'm saying is that he doesn't fuck the horse. Okay, well, I think that the playwright would leave it up to interpretation. I do feel like that is kind of something that the play is getting at is like this this kind of like psychosexual thing that he has in yes, relation I'm, to... Yes, I'm not disagreeing with that, but I'm, what I'm saying is that he does not physically fuck a horse in no, the play. No, he doesn't physically fuck a horse in the play. I was being facetious, as you often are. You know who I kind of identify with now? Who? Professor McGonagall. Oh! You know I mean, what part of the books and movies makes me cry every time without fail? What part? Is in Deathly Hallows, when the Battle of Hogwarts is about to start, and McGonagall does uh, the spell to make the castle come uh, to life and fight. Oh it gets me every time. I have goosebumps. I do think Harry Potter is having kind of a second life or third life or fourth life because, I mean, this has been going on for so long now, on TikTok. Oh, really? Say um, more. I'm not as on TikTok as you are. You're really in it with the kids these days. <laughs> uh, hello, fellow teens. Um... I think we we both have seen the the um TikTok reinterpretation of the chess scene from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Oh, right. That's the one where- when I make my move. Uh, there's a bunch of exposition. There's a, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff. And, and then, then and then Ron says, "Not me, not Hermione, you." You. It's a very difficult because there's like a rounded R. Yeah, yeah, at the yeah. End it's of it's that. like your but you. It's like you. Y O O A U R, maybe, is the spelling. Your. 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 I have to say also that Ron, I, I feel like he was cast to be kind of like this, like, doofy type. Like he was supposed to be like unconventionally kind of like. 
I don't know. All of my friends had crushes on Ron growing up. I feel like I developed a crush on Ron as I became, like, an adult. He's kind of, like, hot, like, in that, like, hot in the, like, way that, like, some people look hot because they got, like, hit in the face with a, they look like they got hit in the face with a shovel. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, you know yeah. How, he like, has shovel face. He's for definitely sure. someone who I would hook up with reg- regularly and tell no one about it. You know what I mean? Why? Because I mean, I think there there there's a certain class of people that I like to hook up with that are just hot, like kind of busted, and like nothing going on personality wise or like in their brain at all. Like would never want to bring them to a party. You know what I mean? Yeah, he has dumb jock energy. This is like he's a hot dummy. Yeah, which I love. Me too. My favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Hot dummies. You can slide into the DMs. Okay, so this is something that inf- happens in fan fiction. Obviously, like, they're wizards and they have sex. So, like, yeah. there are, like, lube spells. Uh, no, there's and, like, not. A, or, Does like, it squirt out of the wand? Sometimes. Um, <laughs> or there's, like, a spell that just, like, lubes them up instantly. Okay. Or, like, a douching spell. That... Oh, um, we need that. We girl, need that. If you, if you are, a, you know, an inventor, if you invent the thing that allows people who have butt sex to not douche anymore, you will make millions. You are a hero. You will make Zillions. more money than she who must not be named. Then she who and must you not will have be a th- named. and you will have a theme park in your dedicated to you in your honor. <laughs> Our producer just dropped a Hermione Bellatrix fan fiction in the chat, and I think we need to do a little dramatic reading. Should I be Hermione and you can be Bellatrix? Oh no, this is on fanfiction.net. Okay, so this this Bellatrix Hermione fan fiction is by an author named Peace Love Bellatrix. Peace dot love dot Bellatrix. The title of the, of the the title of the fan fiction is only her. And there is a disclaimer for this chapter, which, um, it, which is, this will have lesbian sex, so yeah, wink face. <laughs> so yeah. Do, how old do you think the person who wrote this was? 14. All fanfiction authors are 14. Of course. That's, that's, They're there's either no 14 or 37. Right. There is no in-between. Got it, got it, okay. And now we will give a dramatic reading of Only Her by Peace Love Bellatrix. An excerpt. An excerpt. (laughs) And Fran will be playing um, Hermione and I will be playing Bellatrix. Okay. Well, like, we can take turns on the narration. Okay. Yeah. I didn't think you were capable of looking at a mudblood like this, asked Hermione while eyeing the woman carefully. (laughs) You're an Audrix! (laughs) No! (laughs) <laughs> I'm trying to give her I'm trying to give her sort of like a like a lived in cockney vibe. Yeah, well Bellatrix like, really is yeah. like the cockney accent. No, no, she would be more like like uh like stilted upper class, like you're an old exception, Granger, said Bellatrix as she bit her lip. Hermione looked at the woman in front of her and felt her breathing hitch a bit. As you know, I have always been top of my class at Hogwarts. I'm rather intelligent. I analysed my situation with you and have come to the conclusion that it is better for my sake to just give it to you, said Hermione. Bellatrix was hanging on to every word that came out of her pretty little mouth. I want to give it to you, Bellatrix. Take me. This last part came out as a whisper. 
The woman nearly swooned at what the girl on the floor was saying. With a flick of her wand, the chains disappeared around Hermione's wrist. Oh, this is... I think that this is touching on something that's very reminiscent of my high school experience, which is, you know, t- touching over the bra. And that is, like, the most erotic thing you could be doing. Like, when I had a girlfriend in seventh grade, please pretend to be shocked. I, um, yeah, I remember touching Brittany over the bra and being like, I've never done anything more erotic in my entire life. You know what I mean? Sometimes I've, I've never read anything as erotic as that excerpt from Only Her by Honestly. Peace Love Bellatrix. Go for everyone subscribe and follow to peace.love.bellatrix. Now that we're having a conversation about um, authors, I do think it is unfortunately time to touch briefly on you know who okay we're going to put the book in context of our of our modern day which unfortunately i think what in 2020 when was that 2020 2020 um she who must not be named did a bunch of tweeted a bunch of things that no one really needed to hear and we're not going to get into them here yeah y'all can google because it. i'm really not interested in going through and talking about exactly what this person has said about trans people. Other people have analyzed it and broken it down in smarter ways than we will be able to. And we'll, we'll give you some suggestions for further reading towards the end of the, the episode. What I think is interesting is looking back at the text itself and looking for clues. Because I do think they're there. Mm. Um, I mean, we talked a little bit before about Rita Skeeter in kind of a joking way. But also, this kind of attitude that this person clearly has about trans women is very apparent in ways that we didn't pick up on as kids. Um, there is a scene in Prisoner of Azkaban, both the book and the film, uh, the the Boggart scene, mm. where the Defense Against the Dark Arts class is facing down a Boggart, which is this monster that turns into whatever you fear the most. It lives in a closet, mm-hmm. and so they're in class facing it, and Neville's Boggart comes out, and it is mm. Professor Snape, which is, like, the person Neville is scared of the most. And the spell that they do to defeat the Boggart transforms the Boggart into something that they can laugh at, because that's what makes Boggarts go away, is laughter. And what the spell does is put Snape in women's clothing and then suddenly this terrifying person becomes ridiculous oh, and they right. all laugh at right. it. Right, they all because laugh. Because to She Must Not Be Named, <laughs> the funniest thing she can think of is, you know... A guy dressing a, up in a women's man, clothes. A man in women's clothing. Like, clearly, that's how, she thinks. That's, how, that's how this author thinks of trans women. Oh, yeah. In ways, again, that we don't have to get into. But I think it's like telling... I mean, it just goes to show how out of touch the whole situ- how how out of touch she is from like what people take away from these books. Like we talked earlier about like how this franchise has a really um palpable way of capturing the imagination of a child, especially if that kid feels othered, which Honestly, queer or straight, like, every kid felt, like, left out once you start hitting puberty, right? Like, you have that era of your life where everything is embarrassing. 
Um, but like, especially if you're queer, like you really feel like outside of the world and you feel like, you know, there is like nothing for you. And this, this book was such a beautiful, like kind of way of framing, like there is a world on the other side for you with people that you belong to. You know what I mean? Did you feel that way growing up and reading the books? Yeah, that's the, you know, um, I definitely connected with this idea of the, you know, the, the kid who was weird and like discovered that there was something about them that connected them to like a greater community. I mean, that's a queer reading of Harry Potter. And it's like, so you don't have to dig deep to find queer subtext in, in these books. It just goes to show that she, the thing that she produced that she's kind of like tainted our memory of is actually like, we can't let her taint, taint it. You know what I mean? Like it has to, this story belongs to us. The feelings we felt growing up, I feel like it still belongs to us. I, I don't know where I really fall on that conversation because last summer there was a lot of discourse about, you know, death of the author and like authorial intent and, um, you know, a lot of people kind of reclaiming this and saying, oh, it, it doesn't have an author and, like, it belongs to us. And I don't think I'll ever personally be able to totally decontextualize Harry Potter from mm. the person who created it. Um, but I've at least swung back around from where I was last year, which was, I don't want anything to do with this. The person who created it, like, doesn't want to, like, acknowledge my dignity as a human to now, I'm like, well, there are parts of this I can, like, love, like, earnestly or ironically or, like, whatever. And then there are parts of it that I'm just, like, will stay away from or be critical of. Mm. I think that that is, like, in the – I hate to say this. Like, to invoke the term cancel culture at all. Uh, there's a really great video that Rose turned me on to by ContraPoints that, like, talks about – the author of this book in relation to like cancel, cancel culture, or whatever. But like, I think that there's like a very unnuanced thing that's happening in social media right now where like people will tweet about something and then all of a sudden everyone's like, delete it. Like, we never want to see it again, ban it from the libraries or whatever. And like, that's actually not what like being kind of like restoratively justice minded in like our world, like it looks like like the point as you exactly as you're saying is like when these cultural objects come into a, like our lives now it's our job to like make history stick to it and then mm -hmm. still try to enjoy it the best we can understanding that context yeah and i think um you know interrogate and investigate our own relationships to it exactly and what those relationships look like knowing all of this because I'm sure there are people that that wish they could just pretend they had never read her tweets and like love this in an uncomplicated way. That's not me. I want to know. I was this close to getting a Deathly Hallows tattoo, Rose. Like I don't know what I would have done. If I don't I don't know what my relationship to that would have been if that, you know. Well, I did get a Deathly Hallows tattoo <laughs> oh, no. and I mean even before She Who Must Not Be Named came out like really as transphobic i could already see the writing on the wall mm. and i got it covered up because i she she had at that point kind of already started like liking transphobic tweets which is funny because i used to <laughs> tweet at her even before there was like any 
even whisperings that she could be a TERF. Um, I used to tweet at her asking, like, what is trans healthcare like in the wizarding world? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it was something she was very concerned with. Uh, What do you think trans healthcare is like in the wizarding world? Um... I mean, non-existent. Is there a a hormone replacement therapy potion? Okay, so producer Phoebe has dropped into the chat that that, that, um, Diagon Alley does have, like, crunchy queer vibes. Like, kind of like... And I feel like maybe the girls got their moans at Diagon Alley. Like, in the kind of, like, back... In, in like, I think it's a lot like how healthcare exists in America and that there's not a ton of infrastructure for trans healthcare federally from the government, but mutual aid has found ways to get healthcare to trans girls. Okay, so maybe they weren't going to Diagon Alley, they were yeah. going to Nocturne Alley, which is oh, like... what the, the fuck is that? The, that's like the, the bad alley like, oh. that where, um, you know, like dark magic stuff happens. But, okay, I do agree that maybe at one point um, trans healthcare in the Wizarding World was like... Kind of janky. Mm. Um, but I would say, like, let's, um, you know, reclaim the narrative Ooh. and say that it has – let's apply some fan fiction yeah. type thinking. Okay. I'm a student at Hogwarts. I just go to Madame Pomfrey yeah. um, down in the, you know, infirmary mm-hmm. and say, Madame Pomfrey, you know, I have always seen myself as a woman and I really, like, want to start my medical transition and she's like, pip, pip, cheerio, here's here's an estrogen potion. <laughs> Madame Pomfrey's like, the, the front desk people at Calumore, they're like, you're going to need to make an appointment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't even need a prescription, yeah. nothing. She's just like, here you go. Actually, maybe you don't even need to go in. Maybe it's sent to you by Owl because you ordered it online. Is there a, is there a World Wide Web? <laughs> I, I feel like, well, actually, I don't know. I, I'm sure in this version of our reality... There's a World Wide Web. Or at least a Wizarding World Wide Web. <laughs> a www.w.com. You know what I think it's time to do, Fran? What do you think it's time to do? I think it's time to take this Sorting Hat quiz. Fran, I found a quiz. It claims to be better than the Pottermore quiz, okay. which also the Pottermore quiz takes like an hour to And also, up. we don't want anything sanctioned by she who must not be named, so. True. I, I think what we should do is I'm going to ask you the questions and put your answers into into mine. Okay. You're going to do the same thing for me, and then we will be able to surprise oh, each other at love. the end. Okay. Okay. With the house. Love. Okay. Fran. Imagine you have a wand and you can do any magic with it. Mm-hmm. What do you want its core to be made of? Come. Ha- oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, there are options. There are options. This is not a, a write-in <laughs> quiz. Um, holly with the phoenix feather core. Chestnut with the phoenix feather core. Cherry with a dragon heartstring core. Mm. You with a phoenix feather core. Or none of them. No, it would be like a blonde wood. None of these are really my vibe. I would say none of so them. So none of them? Yo, okay. What about you? I'm going to say you with a phoenix feather core. Okay. Look at your living room walls. What's most outstanding? Portraits, hanging plants, various paintings. I have stone walls. Well, <laughs> we know that my apartment is like essentially not decorated at all because I hate it. So I'm going to say I have stone walls. Okay. And you, portraits. No, I have a lot of art. Oh, right, right, right. Various paintings. Various paintings. Failing the best friend quiz that this is. Well, I was confusing, like, the idea of portraits and paint. I do have a lot of, I have a lot of figurative work. Uh, What is your magical transportation model? Hmm. Apparition, 
flu network, flying, or portkey? Flying boots. For me. And for you. No, apparition. I want to... I want to be popping in and out like Ooh. that. Okay, cool. I, I enjoy the ride. I, I, I'll fly. What is your zodiac sign? That's easy. You're okay. a Taurus, You're okay. and I'm a Cancer. What are you curious about? <laughs> the world after we die? Earth. I will say that actually the quiz says world after the die. <laughs> Earth, world, evil, plants, magical creatures. I'm, I'm concerned with evil. I I think that morality is, like, the crux of a lot of things that take up space in my brain. Uh, I'm more curious about world. So just world or world after the die? I'm not... I don't care about that. P- please. Flop. Okay, so you're evil. I'm world. Okay. How do your friends describe you? <laughs> well, we can only answer this for each other, Rose. Recklessness, hard work, wise, mysterious, brave, or righteous? <sighs> I think people that don't know you that well would say brave. I think most of your friends would consider you. I'm sorry, Rose. I'm gonna say righteous, and and I don't say righteous necessarily in the ethical sense. I'm saying righteous in that when you believe something, there's very little that can back you down in a good way. I'm saying that in a positive way. I think of Rose as someone who just really knows what she wants. That's Aww, kind of righteous to me. That's nice. I like that. It was my second runner up would be recklessness. Okay. Thank <laughs> Just you. Just so you know. Um, and for you, I think the kind of obvious one also to people who don't know you very well would be brave. Mm. Um, but I'm going to say hard work. Oh, I think you. you're very committed to your work and your friends and your life. And Interesting that none of us chose wise for each other. <laughs> I don't know if people look to me for, like, uh, wisdom. Yeah. I think people who subscribe to your newsletter. Oh, maybe. Not you, of course. (laughs) I do subscribe to it. You just don't read it. I I read it sometimes. (laughs) Well, I mostly read it to see if you mention me. Right, right, right. Which I do sometimes. You do. Sometimes you steal my jokes. Uh, uh, uh. And now we're at the final question. What do you typically do when you get together with your friends at home? We celebrate a special event. We usually research and discuss scientific ideas. We usually get together to do our homework, or we deal with our enemies and build special strategies or relaxation. I can only go off of what we do with each other, and I guess relaxation, Yeah, but, but also, like, we do build strategies. Yeah, we do work a lot. We do. Together. But not work. It doesn't feel like work. But not to deal with our enemies, which no. is what this question is about. So I guess, let's say for relaxation. We do both have a lot of nemeses. Yeah. Which is important to note. I guess for the sake of the, the quiz, well, is that the real answer? But like, yeah, because we do spend a lot of time processing with each other. And, and, and like, you know, conniving. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we, strategies. Okay. Special strategies. Strategies. Okay, so now we're going to click the button and get our result. Surprising no one. Do you want me to tell you who you are? Yeah. What can I guess? Well, yes, you can. Am I a Slytherin? Yeah, you're a Slytherin. Yeah, yeah, of course you are. Okay. Do you want to guess what you are? Does it say I'm a Ravenclaw? No, you're a a Gryffindor. (gasps) Fuck that. I've taken other quizzes that said I was a Slytherin. I had some Slytherin answers in there, but I was trying not to throw the quiz, you know. 
Fran, I think you're just not a Slytherin. I'm in denial. I'm in denial. But you know what this means? That we are not allowing the the houses to divide us. That's right. We're having um, inter-house friendship. Right. And we are almost diametrically opposed. Yeah. And that's what makes our friendship so strong. And I'm going to reach my hand out to you. <laughs> oh, this time, this time, actually, you're, we are all this together. time. You are reciprocating, and I'm not just stretching. And it's definitely you. You're not. You're not in the vibe. You're kind of. You, you got a kind of stiff shoulder. But uh, but I am also now I'm, digging my nails with your hand. <laughs> yes, you are giving me a little acupuncture here. Well, Rose, uh, it's glad that we confirmed things that everyone already knows about us, <laughs> yeah. which is that I am a Gryffindor and you're a Slytherin. But that is what makes this whole story so interesting. So we'll be back next week talking about Taylor Swift's Red Album canon. Obviously, we're going to do an episode on that. So y'all can study up or not, you know, come into it cold. That's fine. You can tweet us your takes on this week's episode. I'm actually really excited to know what y'all think of the podcast. Rose, are you excited, Rose? Yes, but only if it's positive. Okay, only <laughs> no if critiques. it's positive. I am your co-host, Fran Torado. You can find me at Fran Squishco on any social media you want. I'm Rose Domu. You can find me at Rose Domu on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to Like a Virgin anywhere you listen to podcasts and definitely leave us a review because it helps brand new podcasts quite a lot. Like a Virgin is an iHeartRadio production. Our producer is Phoebe Unter with support from Lindsay Hoffman, Julian Weller, Jess Krainchich, and Nikki Etor. Until next week, see you later, virgins. Ciao. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.